0: You join me in Exodus chapter 20. We cont- continue in our series, 10 words, the law of God. And this morning we will pick up the fourth word, keeping the Sabbath day. Exodus chapter 20, and our key words for our worshipers in training are Sabbath, holy, and enjoy. I believe as we come to this commandment, it is safe to say that in many ways, the fourth commandment is the most neglected and most misunderstood of all of the Ten Commandments. I will tell you, in my Christian life, of all of God's commandments, a few have practically brought me the amount of joy and satisfaction that the fourth commandment has. I say that alongside of the reality that it has also brought along with it the most amount of scorn or ridicule. And unfortunately, that's not primarily by those who are non-Christians. And we'll get into that in a little bit. Now, if you recall, we looked at the fourth commandment uh, last year. And I'm very glad we are coming to it again, and we're considering again what God has commanded of us, and perhaps this is something that is worth considering each and every year. And certainly, in God's decree, it is something that we consider each and every week. And since last year, I just want to share that I've heard several testimonies of the joy that has been experienced by many of you after families have begun observing the Lord's day. This is... What we hope for as we look to the Word of God that the Lord works in our hearts and gives us a greater desire to be conformed to what He has commanded. And so it is a great, uh, joyful experience to hear of God's work as He brings us to a greater understanding and a greater desire to honor and uh, respect and to conform to His Word. I want to be very honest as well. In great love, uh, pastorally, to say that I've seen others that have essentially disregarded uh, altogether uh, this commandment, as though in many ways it's insignificant. And so I want to uh, consider this um, as a, a need that we all have for reminders, as a need we all have for correction. And so I hope to do this with great love for you. Uh, for God's word and with an eye on seeing that collectively we can enjoy more of God and what he has given to us by his grace. The issue at hand is whether or not we are truly enjoying all that God has given to us for our benefit, for our good. And so out of great love for you, I am jealous for your joy in the Lord. And so I pray that it is received in that manner. So if you recall, as we look at the commandments, we see them building upon one another. The first commandment, we looked at whom we are to worship, namely God alone. As we saw in the second commandment, God has commanded us how we are to worship, namely his way and not our own way. In the third commandment, God showed us last week as we looked in his word with what attitude of the heart we are to worship God. And so this morning as we look at the fourth commandment, we consider when we are to worship God. And I recognize as soon as I say that, Bible students everywhere are thinking, Romans 12 verse 1. I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. In other words all of life is worship. There is no specific time in which we worship. It's every day and it's every hour that we worship. And how it's amazing how wonderfully true that is that our lives are to be lived out in worship every day and every hour is for worship but we cannot ignore the fact that all of scripture shows us that beginning with God himself in the creation account that he has given us a specific day of the week for worship for mercy and for rest It is a gift from God, and we need to see it as such. And unfortunately, not only many Christians don't take advantage of this great gift, many openly work to discredit this gift and argue that it no longer exists. Now, I realize if you've never thought much about the issue, probably many questions arise when we consider the fourth commandment. And I hope to answer some of those questions and I'm assuming uh, some of them that you are asking and hopefully address and want to prayerfully push all of us to feel more deeply burdened with the desire to work this out in our homes. So let's read together, beginning in verse 8 of Exodus chapter 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. and made it holy. Now the Western world has adopted the mindset of Mr. Bill Gates. He was asked in an interview about his belief in God and here was his response. Just in terms of allocation of time, resources, religion to me is not very efficient. There's a lot more I could be doing on a Sunday morning. and Perhaps we've, all had that thought in some way at some time certainly that is the opinion of many of our children's sports teams many of our employers and maybe even some of us here this morning who have a long list of chores a to-do list and projects that we want to tend to as soon as we get out of here this morning as americans we're in this constant battle with the powerful idols of time and productivity there's always projects, there's always forms of entertainments that are clamoring for our attention. There's always something to do, and there's just not enough time to do it. I'm sure all of us at some point have thought or said, if only there were a few more hours in the day. Time is a precious commodity, and all of us want more of it. So it seems realistic in some ways to agree with Mr. Gates. Mr. Gates. Who has the time to set aside an entire day of the week for worship and rest and works of mercy? I admit up front that keeping the fourth commandment for Christians today is very much distinct among those who are Reformed Christians. And even still among those who are Reformed Christians, several do not hold to a what we call a Sabbatarian position a position that seeks to fulfill and uphold the fourth commandment of God as it applies to Christians today. The predominant position in the Western church today, and this is something we considered when we looked at the purpose and the function and the use of the law at the beginning of this series, the predominant idea is that if a law from God is not explicitly stated again in the New Testament as a command... It no longer applies to Christians today. And so the argument goes, since Jesus never stated explicitly that it is a Christian's duty to uphold the fourth commandment, it can effectively be removed from the Decalogue, or at least only referred to as a principle of application, but not a hard and fast obedience. And so knowingly or unknowingly, and certainly want to give the benefit of the doubt, it's as if the common refrain is, and these are the words of Pastor Steve Martin in Atlanta, you mean I have to spend the entire day of the week with God? And if anyone were to ever actually say that, I would respond, not only do you have to, indeed you get to. We get to spend an entire day of every week with God. Now remember we identified from the scripture several weeks ago that the law of God was instituted by God at creation. The law does not just show up at Mount Sinai with Moses but was established with Adam in the garden. God commanded Adam to uphold. His law and Adam in his state of perfection had the full ability to do so. Based upon this reality, we also see in the scriptures that the law of God has been written upon the conscience of every man everywhere because we are created in the image of God no matter what. This is Paul's argument in Romans chapter 1. So as we consider that, notice nowhere in the scriptures do we come across anything that says the law of God minus the fourth commandment is written on the conscience of all men and rewritten upon the hearts of all Christians. It has only been the work of crafty scholars to develop a system of theology to discount the fourth commandment. I do not believe you come to that conclusion in reading the bible itself in fact all of the commandments it can be argued out of all of them most clearly the fourth commandment was the one instituted at creation remember in genesis chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 we read thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them and on the seventh day god finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So we see God himself observing the Sabbath, setting the example for mankind. And so the fourth commandment is like the rest of God's law, nothing more than a restating of what was established in the garden when God created all things. So I have two goals this morning as we look at God's Word. First is to look at the specifics of what God has commanded. It is the longest commandment, and so we want to look at all the specifics of what He has told us. And secondly, we will look at application of the fourth commandment for Christians today, because I know perhaps some of you are thinking, why are we meeting on Sunday if the command is for the Sabbath, which was Saturday? We will get there. First, let's look at the fourth commandment. We're going to break it into three parts. We'll look at what is commanded by God. Secondly, we will look at how it is that we are to obey this commandment. And lastly, we'll consider why God has commanded fourth commandment. So let's look again at verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So here is what is uh, commanded by God. The answer to question 63 in our Baptist catechism is this. The fourth commandment requires the keeping holy to God one whole day in seven to be a Sabbath to himself. And himself is referring to God. So one entire day out of seven days of the week to be kept holy and lived unto the Lord. Now, as we look at this, uh, this verse, in verse 8, he says to remember the Sabbath day. There's a dual meaning as he says, remember First and foremost, the the Israelites are called to remember what God has established and what they had observed prior to coming to Sinai. Remember, when God provided manna from heaven for the Israelites in the wilderness, there was a specific rule attached to their gathering of the manna as they were in the wilderness. What was it? Remember, in chapter 16 of Exodus, it tells us that on the sixth day, the Israelites were to gather twice as much of the bread because it would not be given on the seventh day. Why? Well, verse 23 of chapter 16 tells us this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till morning. And so God provided manna six out of seven days on the sixth day they gathered extra and prepared their meals for the seventh day because the seventh day was the Sabbath day, a day of solemn rest, a day of worship, a day free from their labors. Now recognize this. Chapter 16, where we read about this, is prior to the law being given to Moses in chapter 20. And so we recognize that this is a law that came before we received the Ten Commandments on the tablets from God. It is indeed from creation. So God's call to remember for the Israelites is historically rooted. They understand its beginning at creation. And whatever they wanted, whether they wanted to adhere to it or not, they saw God's observance of his own command by not providing manna for them on the sixth day to have enough for the seventh. We recognize also that the call to remember is not just to remember once, but rather it's a perpetual remembrance. It's a weekly remembrance. Like us, the Israelites needed to remember God. And having a specific day during the week designated for the remembrance of God is what he has intended. Pastor Philip Ryken wrote, We are prone to forget the great work of God in creation and redemption. And when we forget, we fail to praise Him for making us and saving us. But the fourth commandment is a reminder. It is God's memorandum to His people reminding us to give Him glory for His grace. And so it is that we remember what God has done in creating us and in redeeming us. The other use of this word remember doesn't involve our memory or our recall. Let me help with an illustration here. Suppose July 24th were to roll around this year and I told my wife, Good morning. I remember today is our anniversary. And that was it? How well does that go over, ladies? Perhaps you're thinking, Man, I wish I could at least get him to remember the date. That'd be a step up. And brothers, if that's you, there's work to be done. But to remember my anniversary takes more than simply acknowledging that I recall the fact that on July 24th of 2004, I was married. It's good and right and important that we set time aside to not only say, remember we got married? Yeah, we remember. Okay, let's move on with our day. No, we set time aside to to celebrate and to focus solely on one another, to spend time away together and to thank God that he has sustained us in our marriage. He has sustained our love. He has sustained our faithfulness to one another. And so in the same way, remembering the Sabbath means using a specific day every single week to show our love for God in a special way. It means, as verse 8 points out, to, to keep it holy. Literally, we are sanctifying it. We are setting it aside for holy and sacred use. And so the command for us is that we remember we recall what God has done in creating us in all things. We recall and remember what God has done in saving us, and we rejoice in that. And we set it aside to remember God, to focus on God, to celebrate God and what He is doing in all of His works. Now let's consider from verses 9 and 10 how is this commandment to be obeyed. Let's look. Verse 9. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or a sojourner who is within your gates. In verse 9, God sets apart what we are to do with the rest of our week. This is just as important as what we do on the other day. He tells us we are to work. And to work hard, I believe, is implied in the Bible. Man has an obligation and a purpose in his work, and he needs to do it well. I know Pastor Russ reminded us of all of this several weeks ago. This is often the part that is overlooked in the fourth commandment, but I think it's very important. Remember in the garden. Not after the fall, but in the garden, Adam had a responsibility. What was his primary responsibility in the garden? It was to work. We were made to work. Unfortunately, like everything else, our work was affected by the fall. It has been cursed by our sin, but work in and of itself is not a curse. It's a blessing. We need to recognize also that the five-day work week that many of us have grown accustomed to is more of a modern invention of labor unions and things in the West, but it's not the historical understanding of one's work week. and certainly not the biblical prescription for our work. The fourth commandment provides that there are six days of the week given for work. Now, does that mean we have to work all six of those days? No, of course not. But that's our primary objective on those days, to do the work that the Lord has given us. So the fourth commandment reminds us to honor God by doing an honest week's worth of work. God governs our work just as much as he governs our rest. And so he's given us six whole days to fulfill our earthly vocation as a means of bringing him glory, as a means of providing for the needs of our family, for our church, and for our neighbor. We find God's blessing in doing what he has called us to do. I want to mention here something that the Puritan Thomas Watson brings out regarding this verse. He writes about the very fact that God has provided six days out of seven for us to do our work. And that in itself is God's grace. It could very well be that instead he would require six days of worship and rest and only one day of the week to do all that we are able to provide for the needs of our family. But God has been gracious in giving us six days to labor. I don't think many critics of Sabbatarianism think of it in this manner. But if we consider these six days as a gracious provision of God in and of themselves, should we not all the more have a great desire to set aside the Lord's day in a special manner of worship? So how do we obey the fourth commandment? Very simply, we set aside the Lord's day for worship. We see this in verse 10. The seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. The book of Leviticus calls the Sabbath a holy convocation. In other words, a time to gather for corporate worship. The people of God coming together, convening. And bringing before the Lord our worship. The Puritans called the Lord's Day the market day of the soul. I love that. The market day of the soul. We use six days of the week for the transactions of business. Buying and selling and trading. That's what work is, right? If I work for you, you are buying my labor, you are buying my skills. We are bartering in a sense. This also includes the buying and selling of all other goods and services. These things are to be reserved for six days of the week. But the Lord's Day, the Lord's Day is reserved for transactions involving spiritual business with the currency of heaven. It is our joy, it is our great opportunity to pray to God, to hear the word of God, to sing great songs of worship, to behold the ordinances of God. Thomas Watson wrote that the result is that the heart which all week was frozen on the Sabbath melts with the word. I hope each of us has experienced the wonderful grace of God. That sweet mercy of God that causes our hearts to to melt with overwhelming gladness for who God is and what God has accomplished on our behalf. And so we see the Sabbath is a day of our week given to the Lord for worship. We recognize also that it is a day for rest. Remember, as with all the commandments, as we pointed out in the others so far, there is a positive and a negative implication of every one of the commandments. For the fourth commandment, the positive is in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The negative aspect of the command is in verse 10. You shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gate. So according to verse 10, there is an obligation that neither you nor anyone else within your household do any work whatsoever. In other words, so far as you have control over the situation... Do not work and do not be the cause for others to work. And the Lord takes this so seriously that he even includes one's animals in the mix. Let your animals rest too. My dog doesn't have a problem with that. But you see, obviously the implications go far beyond our household. The reach is into our community and into our, our commerce. Our Uh, The principle is clear. Do not be the cause for others to engage in their employment. Walter Chantry writes, In a heathen culture, one is tempted to reason that the unbeliever will work anyway. He will not make it a matter of conscience to devote a day to his maker. His shop will be open. Why not let his hours of employment serve me and make the Lord's day more pleasant for me? God's commandment forbids this process of thought by forbidding us even to employ the unbeliever in work for us on God's holy day. God's moral laws are of universal application. They are not intended only for believers. And we have looked at that already. Now this word sabbath it comes from the Hebrew word meaning to cease or to rest. It's a day for worship, it's a day for relaxation It's a day for holy naps and recuperation. Most importantly, it's a day to delight in God's goodness. A day to delight in the mercy of God. To enjoy God's work and redemption. To enjoy the work of God in creation. It's important that we recognize how important God takes this command. Consider Numbers 15. In Numbers 15, we read of the man who gathers wood on the Sabbath. And then, as a result of gathering wood on the Sabbath day, he was stoned to death. We also see a positive example in Luke chapter 23. The women, the followers of Jesus, they gathered together. They wanted to prepare Christ's body for burial. They wanted to use ointments and spices. But Luke tells us, on the Sabbath day... They rested according to the commandment. So we can look at both of these examples and say, gathering wood, seriously? Death? He was stoned to death? And preparing the body of the Son of God for burial? That's a a noble and a humble act of service. Why not go ahead and do it? Well, a very simple answer. God commands a day of rest. We don't get to determine what is and what isn't pleasing to God. He has told us in his word. Now, also notice in verse 10 that the Sabbath rest is for everyone. I already briefly mentioned this. Remember, all the commandments of God are binding on all men, whether or not they are Christians. This is the very thing that all men are judged by. The law of God is God's moral standard for all of mankind. And several commentators have looked at verse 10 and said that it is the first instance that we see in all of human history of a sort of workers' bill of rights. In the ancient world, there was a large divide between masters and slaves. But as the fourth commandment comes along and is stated, uh, is stated very explicitly, we see a sort of new social order. That all men are to work six days a week and that all men are to rest on the seventh day. It's not divided by class lines. It is a command that everyone should work, everyone should rest, and everyone should be free to worship God. I just have to think, if people in the world obey God's command all over the world on the Lord's day, that if we were all to rest from our labors and spend time worshiping God and resting in God, that there would be so much less anxiety and stress and burnout that comes along with these things. A very practical and easy application of this. So the command of God is to keep the Sabbath day holy. How do we do it? We work six days and we worship and rest on, one of those, on, on the seventh day. Leviticus twenty-three three summarizes it very well. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall, do no, you shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. So we've considered what God has commanded. We've also considered how it is that we are to obey God in this commandment. Thirdly, we want to consider from verse 11 why does God command the Sabbath day? Look at verse 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So why is the Sabbath commanded? Well, the answer is quite simple. God himself worked six days in creation and rested on the seventh. Therefore, it is the height of foolishness to assume that we need not do the same. Remember, this is the only commandment of the ten that is explicitly stated in the creation account. So it's not a stretch to say that God created us with the need for rest in a six-on, one-off schedule. Now, of course, there are many other reasons why we ought to keep the Sabbath day holy. Mark records the words of Jesus in in, uh, Mark 2.27. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. What does that mean? It means it is good for us. It is for our benefit. The Lord's day is intended to restore us spiritually and physically. It's not a day to sit around the living room and watch paint dry. It is for our good. It's for our joy. God has created it and called us to observe it for our benefit. God is for us. The Lord's day is for us. Listen to Isaiah 58, 13 and 14. If you turn your back, your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, If you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. I I speak to many Christians who share with me a lack of joy in their life. They say that their joy in the Lord is gone. They'll say, I'm joyless. Well, one of the prescriptions that God gives us in his word to cure cure joylessness is right here in Isaiah. God promises joy to those who delight in the Lord with triumph and feasting on the good things of God. The treasures of God's kingdom both now and forever will overflow to those who rightly observe the fourth commandment. On the Lord's day, God himself is taking us by the hand and leading us to joy. He's leading us to triumph and feasting. This ought to be the highlight of our week. As we gather together, as we look forward to what is in store for us the rest of the day. This day, this holy day that God has given to us ought to be the day we look forward to out of all other days of the week. And notice the prophet in Isaiah doesn't give us a list of do's and don'ts. He's addressing the issue of the heart as we see with all the commandments. If you truly have a desire to enjoy God, your primary focus is not on what we can and cannot do. Our primary focus will instead be upon union and communion with God, taking advantage of the wonderful holy worship that he has given us, taking advantage of his call to to rest that he has prescribed for us. In doing so, many of the do's and don'ts that we wonder about take care of themselves. I recognize there are legitimate questions to consider when thinking through application. And that's, that's fine. But let's not start there. The fourth commandment is not about, as I said, limiting your fun or God being a killjoy. The fourth commandment is about enjoying God, who is the greatest and richest and most satisfying of all things out of all people to enjoy. If God is to be our greatest treasure, we move further and further and further away from, we have to keep the Lord's day. And we get closer and closer and closer to, we get to spend all day with God, enjoying God, enjoying the rest He has given, enjoying the fellowship of the saints, enjoying the Word of God. This is our great joy. This is what He has called us to in the fourth commandment. So quickly, let's look, secondly, at application of the fourth commandment for the Christian today. What exactly does all of this mean for us? And perhaps you're thinking, as I've mentioned already, well, the Sabbath that we read of in the Bible was on a Saturday. We meet on Sunday, so we're not actually keeping the Sabbath. I want to answer that first, and then we'll give you some points of application. The saving work of Jesus Christ has transformed the weekly Sabbath just like it's transformed everything else. We no longer observe the Sabbath on the seventh day of of the week, but instead on the first day of the week. Additionally, we refer to it now most commonly as the Lord's Day. That's not some fancy Baptist language. It is the language of the Apostle John in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10. John writes, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. This is the same type of language that's used by the Apostle Paul when he refers to the Lord's Supper. In other words, the Lord's Supper is a supper belonging to the Lord. And so, very much the same, the Lord's Day is a day belonging to the Lord. Well, when was this? For John and the early church, it was the first day of the week. There are three places in the New Testament that point to the fact that after Jesus's resurrection, the Christians immediately began observing their day of rest and their day of worship on the day of the week that Jesus rose from the dead, the first day of the week we see also in the writings of Ignatius, who was alive toward the end of the first century, we read what he wrote. He wrote, Christians no longer observe the Sabbath. He's referring to the seventh day observance. But direct their lives toward the Lord's day on which our life is refreshed by him and by his death. B.B. Warfield wrote, Christ took the Sabbath to the grave with him and brought the Lord's day out of the grave with him on the resurrection morn. So the keeping of the Lord's day preserves the Sabbath principle by resting one whole day out of seven. And although the day itself, what day of the week, was provisional, it was a sign of Israel's coming salvation, the commandment itself is perpetual. And here's what we must remember, because this above all the other commandments, many Christians want to reject. It was written in stone right alongside the other nine commandments. It's written on your conscience as a non-believer. And when you become a Christian, the word tells us it's written on your heart. Our confession of faith states that the fourth commandment is a positive, moral, and perpetual commandment. It's not obsolete. It is not to be ignored. Now, oh, I recognize there are various arguments that have been offered as to why the fourth commandment is not to be observed today. And we don't have the time to go into all of those this morning. If you are interested about those questions, I point you to a sermon I preached last March that answered some of those things. But let's suffice it to say this morning that we believe that the Lord's day is to be observed on Sunday, that it is binding on all men, believer believer and non-believer alike, and that it is a holy obligation to worship and to rest for our good and in obedience to God's commandment. We believe that God is honored when Christians celebrate the Lord's Day. And with that said, I don't want to dismiss the reality of legalism that exists in the hearts of men. The Pharisees were poster boys for legalistically seeking to uphold the fourth commandment. And by the way, those who reject the fourth commandment based upon Jesus' words, I want you to notice that he never says that the Sabbath isn't important. He just points out that the Pharisees were applying it wrongly. He didn't dismiss it. He only corrected what they thought wrongly about it. He upholds it. He honors it himself. He doesn't dismiss it. But we need to be on our guard against legalism in all forms. And when it comes to the Lord's day, legalism can become an issue. We need to be very careful. We do not base our standing before God on what we do and don't do on the Lord's day. Our standing before God is based upon the death and resurrection and the righteousness of Christ that has been given to us. And that is it. Our justification, our right standing before God is based upon the work of Christ on our behalf. And so we must not judge other people's hearts and question their salvation by how they do or don't do the Lord's Day, how they do or don't keep the Lord's Day holy. And it's beyond the clear teaching of Scripture to develop a list of rules and regulations for our Lord's Day observance. This is exactly what the Pharisees did And it's exactly what Jesus condemned. So the way for us to avoid legalism on this issue is to remember that the Lord's Day is for celebrating the freedom that is ours in Jesus because of what he has accomplished on our behalf. Now, I recognize that as I say that, I know if your heart is anything like mine, your first thought is then it doesn't really matter what we do. That's the opposite side of the coin. That's not legalism. That's what we talked about several weeks ago. That's antinomianism, a rejection of the law of God altogether. But let's be more thoughtful than that. The fact that Jesus said the Sabbath is for man does not mean that man arbitrarily gets to determine exactly how the Lord's Day is to be observed in every sense of the word. There are duties that God has given to us. Worship, rest, and when necessary or appropriate, deeds of mercy and necessity. But the Lord's Day is a call to freedom. It's not an excuse for seeking our own ends. The freedom within the fourth commandment means that the Lord's Day is not a straitjacket, we're not tied up and bound. And hopefully, it's not a day that we see and dread because it's full of boredom and it's full of humdrum. It should be the day of highest joy for all of us. The Lord's day is to refresh us in the joy of our Creator, as it were, to recreate us week in and week out. It is a day to catch our breath by worshiping God with fellow believers, by enjoying the fellowship of the saints and the mutual edification that comes with it, by resting from our labors and by showing mercy to others. So a few practical considerations. Recognize that the Lord's day is just that. It is an entire day. Not just a few hours in the morning, but the entire day. In other words, we have to ask ourselves, are there things that we are doing that are really significant to the reality of it being a day that is lived unto the Lord. Perhaps it's spending some time catching up with some some book that you're reading from a good Christian uh, source that has sat on touch the rest of the week. Maybe it's spending time with other believers and enjoying the grace of those relationships, discussing what God's doing in your lives, discussing the text from the day's sermon praying and eating and laughing together and enjoying the gift of relationships and life with one another, showing hospitality to others to include non-believers, taking time to share with them the glories of the gospel. It's a day to reach down on the side of your chair and just lay that seat back a little bit and to enjoy the grace of God, to rest to maybe go outside on a nice day like today and to enjoy the breeze and the grass and the glorious gift of God's creation. And as we think through these points of application, parents, something for us to remember is how we observe the Lord's day is going to communicate to our children how they ought to understand the Lord's day in their lives, how they ought to understand How important it is that we honor the Lord and we worship the Lord and that we give ourselves to rest. Thomas Watson wrote in considering another practical consideration, he he referred to our preparation for the Lord's Day. He wrote, When Saturday evening approaches, sound a retreat. Call your minds off from the world and summon your thoughts together to think of the great work of the approaching day. Evening preparation will be like the tuning of an instrument. It will fit the heart better for the duties of the ensuing Sabbath. That's wonderful language. Tune your hearts like an instrument that is fully prepared to enjoy the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God and His glory as we look to His Word, as we worship Him together. Uh, One of the things that the Pharisees completely missed when it came to the Sabbath was that it was a day for mercy. For instance, some of the rabbis maintained that if a wall was to fall on top of someone and it was on the Sabbath day, that they were only allowed to remove enough rubble to find out how badly the person was injured. And if the injury was not too bad, then he must be left until the Sabbath ended, when the rescue could be completed. That's foolish. That's a complete rejection of what God requires. In trying to uphold one of God's commandments, they have done just the opposite and disobeyed what God requires. And so to combat such foolishness, notice that Jesus did many of his miracles on the Sabbath day. He was fulfilling the true purpose of the Sabbath. And we follow his example when we use the Lord's Day to welcome the stranger, to feed the poor, and to visit the sick. When it comes to resting on the Lord's Day, we recognize that the fourth commandment teaches us to have an ethic of leisure as well as an ethic of work the businessman should rest from his business, the housewife from her housework, the student from his studies. Of course, Christians have always recognized that Jesus made very clear in his teaching that there are certain types of work that are necessary. These are works of necessity. Those who provide medical care, those who are working for public safety, as well as those who do ministry within the church. On some level, there are people who do Work, and that's wise to do that work. It is a work unto the Lord, just like any other would do any other day of the week. But it is also wise in that to set aside another day of the week for rest. This is not to say that the Lord's day for that person ceases to be the Lord's day. The Lord's day is on Sunday. But We're receiving the physical rest that God, in His commandment, has implied that is needed in every person's life. And of course, especially when we engage in hospitality, there are minor chores to be done around the house. But the idea, the overwhelming idea here, is that we would put away the clock, we would put away the to-do list, and we would measure our time on the Lord's Day by the setting of the sun. And we enjoy the time that God has given us to worship Him, to talk about Him, to think about Him, to read about Him, to rest in Him. It's a day to step out of the frenzy and to stop buying and selling that we can quit worrying about the bottom line. In our culture that treats the Lord's Day like any other day of the week, we need to resist the tendency to let our work enslave us. How do you you get out of becoming a workaholic? Honor the Lord's Day. Keep the Lord's Day holy. That's one way. So as we conclude, if you're still thinking, yeah, but can I whatever? Perhaps you might be missing my point. I want you to think of it this way. If we're looking for a loophole in the Lord's day, then we're not recognizing that God is calling us away from our own business to transact in the most important business of all, which is to glorify God in worship. In essence, most of our time that we are asking questions about the Lord's day, we're asking them to see just how far we can go before we break the commandment. I hope we're not thinking like that. When we do that, we're missing the greatest joy, we're missing the greatest pleasure of all, which is fellowship with our Creator, fellowship with the living God. And dare I say that the issue might be for some that God is boring. We may be willing to give our time in worship, but immediately we want to find our way back to the world's lesser pleasures. Perhaps we simply don't understand what it means to enjoy God. How more than a television show or a video game? How do we do that? Good question. And the more we learn to delight in God, the more we are wanting and willing to uphold His day as holy, and the more thankful we are that He has made it for us. And when this becomes our default, the questions that so quickly come to mind, can I take a job that requires me to work on Sunday? Should my kids play in a soccer, on a soccer team that has games on the Lord's Day? Is it a good day to veg out and watch television and play video games? All of these questions that come to mind. When our default is to enjoy God and his gift of an entire day lived on to him, those questions find their answer quite quickly. The strain and the struggle comes when we want to do our own thing. I'll tell you today, this day, the Lord's day, is the greatest day of the week. I look forward to it every day. I feel so free from time constraints and the stress of an agenda and the rush of running errands and being in 10 places at all times. And perhaps you didn't know it. I'm kind of uptight sometimes. And so it's really nice to be able to relax and enjoy my family, to enjoy you, to enjoy worship, to enjoy rest. It's a joy. And it's a joy for some of us that has to be learned, a joy that we must ask God for to help us to relax. Most of all, I enjoy that I have unhindered time with God and with my family, my wife and my children, my brothers and sisters in Christ, to enjoy the Lord. It's a day to remind us all of what matters most. That's not that we work and labor and toil to please God, but rather that we rest in the finished work of Christ. The Sabbath points us to our justification. Resting in Jesus on the Lord's day points us to our standing before God in Jesus Christ. God's righteous requirement is not that we labor and toil to please Him with our good deeds, to clean ourselves up, to do certain things and to not do certain other things. Our standing before God is based upon our resting in Jesus. And so, you see, the Lord's Day is very much about us remembering the fact that we are not redeemed, we are not set free by the gospel, by our doing work and being moved into a frenzy to do this and not do that. The Lord's Day points us to the reality that our salvation our justification, our standing before God is based upon a work that has been done for us in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so as we look to the fourth commandment, as we look together at honoring the Lord's day, it's not some slick way to convince you that you need to be here. We do, we should, we ought to want that. There's so much more than that. It's about understanding what God has given us to enjoy Him by most ultimately seeing what we are to enjoy because of what He has accomplished for us in Jesus Christ, in our redemption, and in His creation. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You. We thank You that You have given us this day that you've given us the time to gather. You've given us the time to consider your greatness, to consider your glory. You've given us the great joy of our salvation, the great delight that we have in Christ, that you've called us to consider your works of creation, You've called us to consider your work of redemption. Not once and not every now and then, but every single week. Lord, we are a frail, broken people whom you have restored in Christ Jesus. And so we, like your people throughout all history, need to remember what you have done, what you are doing. And in remembering the Sabbath day and keeping it holy, you remind us that our standing before you is not based upon what we do, is not based upon what we seek to accomplish by our works. Our standing before you is based wholly upon the work of Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished on our behalf. That we would live lives in obedience to you out of a desire to delight in you and what you have given to us. Out of a desire to make much of Jesus in our worship, in our rest, in our deeds of mercy. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the gift of a day to unplug from the frenzy of the world. And to plug in to the power of Christ. Who restores us, remakes us, and gives us great reason to delight great reason to be stirred to joy and satisfaction. We love you and praise you in Jesus name. Amen.